Well, at least our student ministry is. <laughs> um, hey, I love doing this. Uh, I love having this opportunity. Um, and, and I do not take this for granted. Um, I, uh, for those of you who are visiting, you're like, who is this young guy up here? Um, I am the student pastor here at Mount Pleasant. Uh, I have all, it's crazy. I've almost been here two years. It feels like yesterday whenever I first got here. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's almost been two years. So, what we are going to do, um, we are actually going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. If you were not here two weeks ago, um, the basis of what uh, we discussed was are you dating the church or are you married to the church? Talking about your commitment to the church. And there's this large kind of movement in, in, in the church culture today where you can just come and go as you please and not have to be committed to the church. And we looked at Ephesians 5 where it says, you know, um, love, your, love your wives as Christ loved the church and how he gave up his, his life for the church. And, and we, we discussed, hey, Christ was completely committed to the church. Why aren't we? And then we use the analogy of dating or being married. Dating, you can, you know, you can have the benefits of, of some of the benefits of marriage, but you don't have to be with the person. You don't have to be committed completely to that person, and so forth. And marriage, living with them, being committed completely to them, um, and you get the picture. So what I'm going to do this morning is do a part two of what I had done at my previous church when I was senior pastor. I did a four-week sermon series on this. Part two talks about, um, which we did in little detail in the first message, loving the church. Part of being committed to the church is loving the church. So we're going to expand on the 10 minutes I had talking about that in the, my last message and expand on that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, which I pray and hope that you do, uh, please turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Every human being has intrinsic value because every single one of us was made in the image of God. You were made in the image of God. I was made in the Im image of God. Every single person who has ever lived on this planet was made in the image of God. So because they were made in the image of God, they have significant intrinsic value. So even that unborn child, <clears throat> whom many states say it's okay, and our nation would like to say it's okay to abort, that unborn child has intrinsic value because they were made in the image of God. And that Haitian child on the chaotic streets of Haiti, and that child with Down syndrome, and the inmate who has, uh, who has um, caused numerous heinous crimes, and the 95-year-old man who is unable to function, everyone has intrinsic value. It's not, it's not just for people who function in a certain way or can continue to function in a certain way. It's for every single person. And it seems as if we have separated our love for God away from our love for people. And that's an unbiblical mindset. 
1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 put it like this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So we pretend as if our love for God and our love for people can be separated. But they can't be. According to his word, if you love people, you love God. And if you love God, you love people. It can't be a and or. So the problem rests in that if we don't love God, we can't love others. So if you're not a Christian, you don't truly love your wife. I know that's hard for some of you. But it's God's word. And then if you don't love others, get this, you're not a Christian. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says this, So then, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good to each other, especially those who are within the body. Let's remind ourselves of the greatest commandments of all that we see in in Mark chapter 12. You know, the first being to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second to be, be to what? To love your neighbors as yourself. I mean, this is a constant theme throughout Scripture. And we see this again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to, we're going to read a lot of scripture in here today. So you're going to have to uh, really uh, try to follow along as best as possible. First, going to start off looking at the first 11 verses here in 1 Thessalonians 5. It'd probably help if I would turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is what it says. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers... You have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware of that day that of the Lord will come, will come like, like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are in darkness, or you are not in darkness, for, the day to, for that day you will, uh, to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the, uh, uh, to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and how helmet. Uh, in the helmet of self, hope of salvation. For God has not dis- destined us, us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we awake or sleep, we might live with him. Key verse. Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up. Just as you are doing. Encourage one another. Build one another up just as you are doing. As Christians, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. 
because we have put our faith and our trust in the cross. That's what makes us a Christian, right? Putting our faith and our trust in the cross, believing in the cross, trusting in the cross, uh, asking forgiveness of our sins because of the cross, and making him Lord and Savior of our life. Anytime Scripture says words like, brethren, brothers and sisters, or children of God, please do me a favor, do not skip over those verses. Because what happens is we, 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 we hear these cliches that we read a lot in Scripture, and it's like, because we read it a lot, it's like, oh, we, we just kind of skip over that. But these are important to who, to who we are in Christ, because this is showing our identity with Him. And it's also displaying our relationship with others as well. See, when he says brothers and sisters or brethren or children of God, he's not just talking to you, but he's talking to us. He's talking to the entire body. Verse 1 says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you. Verse 4, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. This seems to be a call as we read and apply this chapter that we, together, as God's people, ought to be doing something. What is that something? I think it's very clear. Point number one, to display evidence of faithfulness by edifying one another. Let me say that again. Display evidence of faithfulness by edifying one another. Lack of building each other up cannot coexist with faithfulness. So if you're not encouraging or building one another up, that cannot coexist with, oh, I'm still faithful, and I'm faithful in these areas. I just might not be faithful in this one area. No, if you're not faithful in the area of building, encouraging one another, encouraging one another to grow, if you're not faithful in that area, please understand this. You're not faithful at all. Because what tends to happen in church life and in the life of many Christians is we like to point out the areas in which we are faithful. Well, I do this, I do that. Now, I might not be as good in this area, but look at all this good that I do do. Well, here's the thing. This trumps all the good that you do. If you're not encouraging, if you're not edifying, if you're not building up the body of Christ, it trumps all the good that you do and you, that, you, that you think you do, or that you see. Verse 11 tells us, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Think about that, just as you are doing. It is expected that Christians are already doing this. And this is a little bit, I'm, I'm terrible English, so I probably shouldn't be giving grammar lessons. But here's a little bit of a grammar lesson that people don't realize when they're reading Scripture. And it applies to Scripture too. Anytime it says the word therefore, what are you supposed to do? Look before and look after. 
Okay? And, and, and that's key. So it says, you know, therefore build each other up just as you are doing. So what we're seeing is this has been happening before. And then when we read later on, this is something that is also happening currently. See, if we are believers and we know that the Lord is coming like a thief in the night, as verse 2 tells us, we ought to love, comfort, comfort, and sharpen and edify one another. If we are not in darkness, as verse 4 says, then we must not live like those who are going to be destroyed at the return of Christ, verses 6 through 8. Which means we are called to love, comfort, comfort, sharpen, and edify. If we are going to put on the breastplate of faith and the helmet of the hope of salvation, verse 8, we again must learn how to love, edify, sharp, sharpen, and comfort one another. See, as believers, God didn't appoint us to wrath. He chose us. He called us out of darkness. And because he did that, he didn't appoint us to wrath. Because he rescued us through his blood. And we must live like those who are saved and waiting for his coming, his return. So the whole, therefore we comfort and edify and and we encourage one another. This is actually living out the gospel. That's what it is. It's living out the gospel. As we are called to live out our faith in salvation, it points us directly to how to edify the people of God. Now, I would like to thank that if someone who's lost comes into a church, that they could look around and see the way that we care for one another, and that could be a clear enough example of the gospel that they would get it. And what I tend, what I tend to hear, it's not, it's not, you know, I'm not pointing Mount Pleasant out. I'm saying. Church-wide, what I tend to hear from lost people is they come into the church and they see the way we love one another. You know what they say? I get better love at home. See, this is the living out of the gospel. This is us doing life together. This is us showing and displaying to the world the marvelous love of Jesus Christ, which surpasses any love whatsoever. This is what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at all uh, wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It endures people. Love never ends. 
As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when, that perfect, uh, when the perfect uh, comes and the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I love how Paul puts it there. He gives us the description of love, and then you know what he says to us as Christians who are not loving? Grow up. When you were a child, you thought like a child. You are no longer a child. You have no excuse to edify and to love the body of Christ. We don't have that excuse. So this isn't just something for us to consider. It's something for us to apply. And if we love the church as Christ loved the the church... We love people around us no matter what mistakes or wrongs that they have done to us. And get this. The gates of hell will not be able to stand against that. See, those who are non-believers don't get that type of love. It doesn't matter what you've done to me. I still am called to love you and to care for you. It doesn't matter what I've done to you. you're still called to love me and care for me. How do we do this? What in the world does this look like? I'm glad you asked. Because the Bible gives us good description on this. Look at verses 12 and 13 here. We ask you, brothers, to inspect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their works. Be at peace among yourselves. Being faithful, this is what it looks like, being faithful by displaying a multifaceted type of love. That, I think that's important. It's a multifaceted type of love. It's a love that's just not a basic type of love. It's a love that forgives the unforgivable. Because that's, that's what Jesus did. And notice at the la- latter part of verse 13, it says, be at peace among yourselves. Talking to Christians, Talking to the body of Christ, there should be this overwhelming peace among the body of Christ. See, this type of love for the church starts with patience. We can't give up on one another. We can't leave one another because of someone's mistakes. But the concept is more that we will do whatever it takes to work it out and to see them restored. 
That's the type of love that we should have. When someone is sinning and continues to fall in sin, we don't just say, oh, that's their problem, but that we run after them and we drag them back and we do that for the sake of their restoration with Christ and the church and because we love them. See, if churches do not love one another, what will happen is when someone falls into sin, we will say, okay, that's fine. If someone cheats on his wife, we don't deal with it. We don't go and we don't talk to that married couple. Hey, and let me tell you something. If that's the way churches behave, if that's the way churches function, that's not love. Because what we are doing is we are saying their sin is okay. And they continue to be engulfed in that sin. Let me tell you this. I, I, am, I am far, far from a perfect student pastor. And I make mistakes. How will you say this? And I sin. But don't give up on me. Don't give up on me. If we gave up on people who sin, we, wouldn't, we would give up on everyone. Because God has called us to love the church. And part of that loving the church is making sure we don't give up on the church. When you give up on one person, you're giving up on the church. We're called to be one body with many members. And we'll see momentarily, we'll see the calling for us to warn people in Scripture, for us to warn people who do wrong and who sin against God. But warning someone of their sin isn't throwing them to the wolves and giving up on them. See, I think, I think that's what some of us think. Warning someone, it's like, you know, you kick them in the rear, and you kick them out of the church, and you throw them to the wolves. Hey, if you throw a sheep to wolves, what happened? They're going to get eaten. The wolves will, will eat the sheep. So we can't just give up. And, and get this, if you're one of those church members who has fallen away or who has um, fallen into sin, are you going to be frustrated when people come after you? Yes, you are. But you understand this. You will rejoice that much more when you're, when you're restored. It's not an easy interaction. It's not something easy to deal with. But it's what God has called us to do. It's what he wants from us. And this type of love for the church deals with sin. Understand that. It deals with sin. It's that we love our brothers and sisters enough that we will encourage, edify, sharpen, and love them in a way that will encourage them to leave their sin. We in our student ministry, we want to see students leaving their sin taking off their sin and putting on the righteousness of God. This is exactly what Jesus did while he was here on earth. He dealt with sin. Why did he deal with sin? Because he loved them. He cared for them. He wanted to see them live for the glory of God. See, Jesus is in that same business today. He is constantly dealing with sin. Now, I know some of you, I know how some people respond about this. Well, you are to judge me, right? We, we've heard that before, and you can tell me that, 
And I'll say, you're right. I'm not to judge you. That's for God to do. But God has given me a command to help you deal with your sin, and I will do what God has called me to do. Just because I talk to you about your sin does not mean I'm judging you. There's a difference there. Your idea of judgment is not biblical. Matthew 18, if someone has sinned against you, what do you do? You go to your brother and you deal with it. It doesn't say you go to your brother and you judge him. You go to your brother and you deal with it. This is a biblical basis here. And some of us need to learn to love these people. If we're we're planning on spending eternity with them, I mean, we better start loving them now. Or better yet, uh, and maybe this is a little bit harsh, but if you don't love these people, guess what? It's probably a good chance you're not spending eternity with them right now. If you love one another, you love God. If you love God, you love one another. First John. So think about what it means to comfort, to edify them so that we all might become one body. Because this is the whole point of, of loving one another. We become one body, and when we're one body, we reflect the glory of God. And when we reflect the glory of God, guess what? More lives will be changed. We will, we will impact our community at a greater, uh, at a, uh, with greater uh, dynamics. Just think about what it means to comfort or to edify. This is so that we might enjoy life and living it out together as one body, as one church, with one another. Love for for you to go and to study the one another's commands that we see in Scripture. How to love the church. And these are just a few of them that you, I think, have on your notes. Romans 12, 5, be devoted to one another. Romans 12:10 rejoice with one another. 1 Peter or Galatians 6:2 carry one another's burdens. 1 Peter 4:9 have hospitality towards one another. James 5:15 pray with one another. James 5:16 confess to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5:11 encourage and edify one another. You see, this is a constant reminder of the body of Christ to be there for one another. This is an edifying, it's a sharpening, it's a loving, it's an encouraging thing. And this is doing life together, that we are living in such a way that we are treating these commands as our lives. See, I think what people get misunderstood, what people misunderstand sometimes, is this isn't about programs. And it's about, not about meetings and it's not about committees or events. But this is about life together. How can we share this life together? I'll say this. And I told our students this Wednesday night, for those who were there, that, you know, they can back me up on that. I said this to them, and I'll say this to you. If you're looking for a church that has the best events, you will find a better church that has better events than we do. You're like, why would you ever say that from the pulpit? I think our events that we do are excellent. But there's always going to be some church that does it better than we do. And guess what? There is going to be someone who can take their message and make it craftier than what we do. 
There's always going to be someone who has the next, you know, gadget who makes worship and everything else look better than what we do. And if you're looking for the best of the best in, in, in ministry, just events, planning, you know, uh, uh, you know, out, you know, uh, just just constant ministry areas like that. You know what? You're always going to find someone better. But get this: church is not about those things. But church is about seeing how we can love one another by speaking truth in their lives. And I promise you, you will not find another church that speaks truth like this church. If you're looking for a church that is based on truth, this is the church for you. If you're looking for a church that sugarcoats stuff, who runs around issues, who, don't, who doesn't deal with sin, hey, you know, it's probably best that you find another church. Because what we will do is we will say, above any ministry event, above any, any uh, thing that we have in this church, any committees or events, guess what? Be above any of that, we are going to speak the truth of Jesus Christ and not waver from it and not apologize because of it. And you know what? Please don't take me wrong. The ministries that we do and the events we do are excellent. And we will pour time into those. And we will do whatever we can to make it the best. But my point is, there's always someone who's a little bit craftier. But this doesn't need to be crafty. Because we have God. And His truth is good enough. So, that's, we do this together. And as we do this together, it changes lives. Colin Marshall says it like this. We may all build or edify in different ways, but we are all builders. We do not all have the same function, but we are all urged to, to, the, to know the word of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord you labor, that your labor is not in vain, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And this building we are called to is not meant to be torn down by any believer. Point number three, and, and we'll, we'll get to landing the plane. Living life together means doing whatever it takes to hold each other faithful. Living life together means doing whatever it takes to hold each other faithful. Let's read verses 14 through 22. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Remember how verse 12 and 13 shows us how to recognize and love both those who God has, has called to lead the church and those who are followers? I mean, it, 
we, we see that he calls us to love not only, not only the leaders of the church, which I think is important, because some people don't love the leaders. If you don't love the leaders, you can't love the followers. But it's also to love the entire body, to admonish the idol. If someone refuses to obey God's word, warn them about the danger that they're in. Don't let them think that they're okay, because they aren't. Encourage the faint-hearted. Some people today feel like they are at the end of their rope. And they just aren't sure if they can keep obeying. Because they're so tired. They're so weary. They're hurt. Encourage them. Cry with them. Acknowledge their trouble. But also point them to Christ who knows their troubles and has not forgotten about them. This, this is part of doing life together. Being there and encouraging one another. The staff has heard me say this. Um, the, the committees I'm on has heard me say this. One thing I love about this church and about the pastoral staff and, and those that, that I'm around is I feel like this church more than any other church that I've ever been a part of. If, if you ask me to, and I tell this to new uh, people who are looking at being members, if you ask me what's the one thing about Mount Pleasant you love, this is what I will always say is, I feel like we do life together. I feel like we do life together. And that's what Christ has called us to do here. And that's what it means to, to help or encourage the faint-hearted, to cry with them, to acknowledge their trouble, not to just say, hey, I know what you're deal- dealing with. Well, you, you might have a taste of what I'm dealing with, but my situation could have been different than your situation. I remember when we had our, 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 our two miscarriages, you know, people coming up to, to us and saying, oh, well, we know what you're dealing with. We had 18 miscarriages. No joke. We had people telling us this. I was like, yeah, you know a taste of what we're dealing with, but our situation is different than yours. I wouldn't understand what you're, I mean, to extent I understand, but to another extent, your situation's different than mine. So we, we acknowledge the problem, and then as we acknowledge it, and we don't just undermine it, then we point them to Christ. See, we are called to be patient with them all. We're called to be patient with everyone, not just some, not just the people we want to be patient with, but we are called to be patient with all of them. It tells us to help the weak. When people need help through a situation, we must help them face their problems and temptations. That's what the church is there for. We don't always need to send them to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, which I'm not saying those things are bad. But we don't always have to send them somewhere like that. Especially since we have God's word. A lot of the stuff, get this, a lot of the stuff that we send to the secular world can be dealt with here in the church through scripture. Thing we, called, we, we like to call biblical counseling. See, verse 15 also tells us to refuse to seek revenge but instead seek to bless even those who attack you. Then we see that it explains to respond to every person in every situation with rejoicing, pray without ceasing, 
in thanksgiving. See, this is a reflection of Christ. And then we get to verse 21. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every kind of evil. If we don't grab on to the truth that God has given us to love one another, we won't abstain from every type of evil. So I say all this to ask, what is the next step that we are called to take today to express our extreme bountiful love for the church? What's that next step? Well, maybe it's going from a weekend attender to a committed member. Maybe you're growing, but you need to take a step to actually serve within the church. There's a lot of good works to be done here, and we need everyone on board doing their part. Use your gifts for the kingdom. Or maybe you're doing all that, but you need to renew your heart and your affection for the church First, if that's the case, you need to first renew your heart and your affection for Christ. Because sometimes doing good activities and being involved it can be good, but maybe your heart has grown cold for some of the things of the church, and, you have, and your love for the church is lost. Or some of you might be members, but you're not living with the people of Mount Pleasant. Living life together. Maybe you just need to simply reevaluate the way you love people in the church and know that our lives are meant for believers to be joined together to make a difference. Or are you taking this worship gathering for granted? See, we, t- we come together for the building of one another. The way we build one another, through fellowship, through worship, through His Word. And as we do that, as we have fellowship, as we teach, as we have worship, we pray that God would use His Word to affect the community and to change lost souls. Or maybe you come in late and you leave early. And the church is just another appointment. And it's not about the people. Maybe you haven't thought much about how often you come or how much you love the church. Or maybe you're just seeing how love looks for the first time. That's part of doing life together, getting involved, getting plugged in. But here's the central, central question I want you to ask right now. Is in your life, Are you busy with stuff or are you busy with people? Because that's what God's called us to, to love people. We want to be Christ-centered people who are focused on Christ, who are focused on His church and focused on the laws. I want Mount Pleasant to do a few things well. I want us to love God love each other, and love the lost. And if we do those few things well, God will call us to do amazing things 
amazing things. I know we've run out of time, but let me extend this to you today. There are some of you today who don't know love. Why? Because you don't know Jesus. I told our students this past Wednesday, the thing that I'm scared about the most in ministry is how 95% of the people who attend church think that they're going to heaven. When in reality, most statistics say about 50% of the people truly have a relationship with Jesus. So, if, if that's any at all accurate, or even close to being accurate, there is a, major, or there's a, a good handful of people in here today, maybe 25%, who think that they're going to heaven because they don't drink beer and they vote Republican. but in reality, do not have a relationship with Jesus. Get that straight today. Let God show you what true love is about. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and 